Welcome to the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. It is the last show of the year, and I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't leave you on a cliffhanger. This is a two-part episode. I speak to Miranda Allen, who many of you might know from her appearance on Foolus, and others might know of her from her appearances in the Lucy Darling virtual show as the character Marcy. Nick Lacapo joins me to discuss the featured download of the week from Cameron Francis. But before all that, Ben Train joins me via Skype for Desert Island Magic Books. Ben Trent, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for the Desert Island Magic Books. Let's suppose you wash up on a desert island. What is the one magic book you want with you? This is uh, me washing up on an island right now in my life? Yes, right now in your life. Uh, It has to be magic related. It has to be magic related. Uh, It's got to be a magic book. So I would probably, I mean, there's books that I love to read over and over again, but if I'm stuck on an island and I want... I would want a big book filled with lots of like a variety of ideas so that like they can generate thought. So I might go for a classic, something like uh, greater magic. Oh yeah. Cause there's just so much magic in that book. And you know, you could spend your lifetime going through and coming up with your own versions. So I'd probably pick that over like, you know, I, or the expert at the card table or something mm-hmm. is a great book. I love it. I've read it a bunch, but like I'd rather, yeah, I'm going to say greater magic. Is That's there, my hard end. You, you know, you've read Greater Magic, correct? I have read Greater Magic, though I, though I, I've certainly skimmed over parts, and uh, I, I couldn't uh, tell you everything that was in it now. So, uh, Greater Magic is one of those books that comes up a lot. I know, like the the first editions are like super pricey, but uh, I, I haven't actually met a lot of people who've actually read the book. Uh, is there a particular trick in there that stands out for you? Um, the first one that comes to mind is the Tomb Deck. Um, so I remember reading that and thinking like sort of weird way to showcase a method while hiding it at the same time. If you don't know the trick, uh, and it's been a long time since I've read it, um, it, it's just a very, it, it's a lot of different ways of essentially having people pick a card and then being able to find it by riffling the deck and hearing it by. Oh, Ben, we lost you there. Uh, ben, check, check, check. Hey, lost. No. Nope. Uh, lost you there. How about uh, nah. Oh, there you are. Can you hear me now? Yes. Uh, if you could pick it up. What's happening? I'm so bad at tech. Anyway, the tune deck, tune deck is super clever, and what I love about it is uh, that it's like a, a magician fooler and a layperson fooler that showcases a method while hiding a method at the same time. So it's a really interesting trick. But the book is filled with stuff it's like tarbell yeah. like i would have said tarbell if if i don't know if tarbell is bound in one volume now i is think it? there is uh, a version of tarbell that is bound up in one volume but largely it's the eight volume like color-coded set from robbins that everyone has these yeah. days now when we started this conversation you actually you, yeah that's what i have when we started this conversation you sounded like you had uh, a book in mind that was not a magic book that you wanted on a desert island would you mind sharing that with us well, I I was thinking I was going to say something snarky like you know how to get off a desert <laughs> island or Rats Building One Hundred One or something. Um, there are definitely books that I've read that like have blown my mind um, and that I reread a lot. Uh, the Design of Everyday Day Things by Donald mm. Norman is amazing. Um, uh, S. H. Sharp's book, um, uh, uh, Neo is it Neo Magic? Let me look. At, I have the title right by me. Art and Magic. Neo Magic is his other one. 
S.H. Sharp's Art and Magic is one of my all-time favorite magic books that doesn't reveal any secrets. Um, but but is like a book all about it's a magician who uh, was a poultry farmer and he was also a like theologian and an academic and a writer and he wrote all these beautiful essays about magic. He was also a magician, so he knows a lot about sleight of hand and stuff. Um, and the book is super get pumped up to perform mm -hmm. or to create and stuff. So that's a what, book I what love. What was the title of that book again? Uh, uh, Art, Art and, Magic and Magic by by S.H. Sharp. And I don't know if Penguin has it on their site, but if they don't, they should get it. <laughs> we'll definitely look into it. Well, uh, Greater Magic and uh, uh, The Art of Magic, or Art and Magic is are both fantastic books. Ben Train, thanks so much for sharing this with us. Thanks so much to Ben for joining me on the show for Desert Island Magic Books, which as always is brought to you by Shazam, the podcast that hopes to make itself obsolete. Their January 4th show features Leah Orleans comparing acrobats and the magic industry. Go give it a listen. We love everything Kayla is doing over there. Now, on to the main event. Miranda Allen is an actor, street performer, and escape artist who has traveled the world doing Shakespeare at night while escaping from ratchet straps during the day. Normally my interviews are short, but we got along so well the conversation went for almost an hour. This first part of the interview focuses on her work with the Lucy Darling virtual show, and then we get into her work in escapes. Miranda joined me via Skype to discuss a broad range of topics. It's fascinating to look at how she went from acting on the stage to being a part of one of the hottest virtual shows around, and now you get to join our conversation. Miranda Allen, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you because we have a lot to talk about because I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast may have come to see you as one of the cast members of Lucy Darling's virtual show. Yeah. Can uh, And then I want to talk about that. Then I want to talk about some of the Fula stuff and the escapes. Uh, but how the, the Lucy Darling show was sort of like blowing up everywhere. I mean, you guys just gave like were a part of giving an award to David Copperfield. Um, and my understanding is that it's a very collaborative show. How did you get involved with it? Yeah, um, it, it certainly has become the strangest timeline in this pandemic. Every time something amazing happens for our show, I just remind myself that this is the strangest timeline. It's so weird <laughs> to be giving David Copperfield awards from our living room. Um, the, the Lucy Darling show came into existence because of the pandemic. And the way it kind of happened was uh, when I was shooting Fool Us, Carissa came down to kind of be my entourage or my backup. It's a thing that we kind of do for each other from time to time. The first time that she was at the castle, I came to LA to be her entourage, which was an absolute pleasure. Um, so she came to Vegas to be my backup for Fool Us. And that was, we finished shooting days before the pandemic was called a pandemic. I literally flew home to Canada. And the next day, the whole world was like, this is a global pandemic. Everything is shut down. Yeah. And so... I was like, oh no, Carissa, who's a Canadian, is in Vegas having the time of her life, mind you, with Bizarro, but yeah. um, without any health care, right? Oh man. Because um, they were canceling all the travel insurance. So I, my partner and I had a chat and said, maybe we should offer Carissa a place to stay back in Canada. And uh, since she's been living out of her suitcases for a while. So we called her up and said, do you want to come stay with us? And we all thought it would be a couple of months. And then it was a gigantic pandemic that lasted forever. And after a little while, Carissa kind of looked at us across the dinner table and said, hey, you guys want to do a show? <laughs> it seems like I've, I've heard of very similar stories from other people just like three months into the pandemic. They're like, all right, screw it. We're going to do a show. Um, yeah. So well, we, were, we were pretty lucky that the National Arts Center of Canada, a few months into the pandemic, uh, offered um, a small grant for people who wanted to produce online live streams. 
Oh, okay. So that was the thing that gave us a bit of motivation. It wasn't a lot of money. It was like a thousand dollars to just try something and make something. So that was the Lucy Darling live stream of love, which was the mm-hmm. first one that we did. Mm-hmm. And then we sort of went into hibernation for a little bit and figured out what we wanted to make and what we wanted it to look like. And then came back with our ticketed Zoom show, which is the Lucy Darling. Mm-hmm. Um, at first we called it Lucy Darling at home. Uh, then it became an exceptional light in with Lucy Darling, but that's when we started um, focusing on creating interactive uh, yeah. routines specifically for Zoom. And you and your partner are the sort of cast of the show apart from Lucy, whereas like Lucy is the focal point. You two are doing tons of stuff because if, if I'm not mistaken, because I've seen the show a number of times, uh, you guys run the stream, monitor the chat, and also act as Lucy's secret assistants. And then are you the one who puppets the cat or is is that your partner? Yeah, uh, I, I puppet the cat, yes. I think that to yeah. me that is the most important part of the show is, is puppeting <laughs> the cat. I think the cat would agree with you. <laughs> Where did the cat come from? Because that was just, it was the it's the most surreal element of the show is this this cat that is just like, constantly causing havoc um it came from uh sort of a concept that carissa had had for a while and sort of max maven Mm -hmm. um so carissa i think a while ago quite a while ago had had a routine with a mouse um that was named goosey and so Mm -hmm. lucy had a mouse named goosey and it was lucy goosey and uh yeah you'd have to ask carissa where the idea of the cat came up exactly but i'm i know max was heavily involved um and uh yeah and so then we built the puppet and kind of went from there it's uh it's... So we like to think of the characters on a sort of matrix right so mm-hmm. that lucy is you know carissa talks a lot about lucy as a force of ultimate love yeah and we like to think of goosey as a force of like hate and chaos <laughs> and where does your character fall in this paradigm because i think what's very interesting about the show is that uh you, you each have very distinct characters and and different uh you're because you're not really an assistant you are you are a cast member in the show i think it's 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 approached very differently than other types of magic shows that i've seen where the assistant is just sort of a an object that can be torn and and uh, or you know torn in half and then put back together or vanished and reappeared whereas uh you and your partner they're they're really a, a, a force of nature in the show there's vignettes there's video pieces uh there's there's stuff that you guys are doing where you are sort of bossing uh, Lucy around. Uh, how did you come to create these characters? What a great question. <laughs> um, well, I think it was a natural leap. We started from building out from the world of Lucy. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the main event is brought to you by R.I.P. from Cameron Francis. Nick Lacapo joined me via Discord to talk about this torn and restored effect. Nick, we don't talk about Cameron Francis nearly enough around here. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, Eric. I don't know why, but you just read my mind. It's just, man, like, so we're talking restored in pieces, which is a great trick because you you tear a card up, you put it in your pocket, and the pieces jump back from your pocket piece by piece, restoring themselves between two jokers. It's wild. Yeah, it's like a crazy sandwich trick that you with a signed card where you... I mean, you start by doing a sandwich trick, and then it just gets crazy because you put you rip the signed card up, put it in your pocket, and just like you said, you see it restore itself between these two jokers. So it's like a multi-phase sandwich routine, but with also a torn or restored card 
throw in the middle of it. The nice thing is, is that it does use some gimmick cards, which are they're very minimal that you have to put in the deck, and there it makes the makes the trick repeatable, and you're not actually ever like ripping up any of the gimmicks or anything like that. Yeah, and the whole idea that it's like one of those piece by piece restorations, which normally like you're doing torn by Danny Garcia or the uh, uh, reparation by uh, uh, Guy Hollingsworth. And those are great effects, but they require some sleight of hand chops. And this yeah, doesn't, which I mean, is really nice. You're out there doing Guy Hollingsworth torn restored <laughs> cards. But, you know, for I'm, me, I'm, I'm just, you know, this is why I love this one, because I don't have to worry about my angles or anything like that. You can still get the power of a torn restored card. And, you know, in a solid sandwich trick all in one, um, it's so just, good. this is one of those things that Cameron's been doing forever at his close-up gigs. Cause it also is going to reset instantly for you and everything, you know? So it's just one of those solid card tricks that, uh, you know, for, oh man, it's only, it's only 20 bucks too, but you can get it, you can get it even cheaper, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right now. I mean, when you're listening to this podcast, you can get it for a couple of bucks off by entering the, the discount code penguin pod at checkout. That was R.I.P. by Cameron Francis, available at PenguinMagic.com. And as a thank you for listening to this show, if you enter the discount code PenguinPod at checkout, you'll get 25% off this fantastic little packet trick. That's PenguinPod, P-E-N-G-U-I-N-P-O-D, all one word. That code is good until the next episode airs and is only good for R.I.P. Now, back to my conversation with Miranda Allen. You each have very distinct characters and and different uh, you're because you're not really an assistant you are you are a cast member in the show i think it's 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 approached very differently than other types of magic shows that i've seen where the assistant is just sort of a an object that can be torn and and uh, or you know torn in half and then put back together or vanished and reappeared whereas uh you and your partner they're they're really a, a force of nature in the show there's vignettes there's video pieces uh there's there's stuff that you guys are doing where you are sort of bossing uh, Lucy around. Uh, how did you come to create these characters? What a great question. <laughs> um, well, I think it was a natural leap. We started from building out from the world of Lucy because, mm-hmm. you know, most of what I do in my own work is is very large. It's a lot of escape and spectacle and things like that, that just, it would be so much more expensive than mm-hmm. a normal magic show to put on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um so it made sense to build out from Lucy's world first, especially because Carissa has a standing fan base. And then it was a logical leap to have Lucy have butlers. You'll notice in the show, she never refers to them as butlers. She refers to them as the charming little helpers. Cause Lucy also kind of lives in a universe where money isn't a thing that she handles. Yeah. So we start kind of started from there and then built out these characters around the idea that the the butlers are there for something that Lucy gives them in their life in terms of like, Mm -hmm. like emotionally or in terms of, um, so for Marcy, for my character, Marcy is, um, I think of Marcy, we call her groovy. Marcy's very groovy. Mm -hmm. And she's a character that groovy is, she's, she's very adventurous and she's very, playful Mm -hmm. but she doesn't have a lot of impetus to start things yeah and so because lucy is all about fun and love marcy kind of gets to hop on lucy's bandwagon Mm -hmm. of adventure and joy and seeing where things go and enjoying things getting crazy so 
there's a bit of like almost like an emotional transactional relationship in that Marcy gets something from being around Lucy that she can't put into her own life on her own. Yeah. And I think Lawrence kind of gets something that's similar, but the flip side, I won't speak for Richard because it's yeah. his character, but he's got this sort of um, stiff rigidness, right? Yeah. That sort of needs Lucy to bring to bring him out of that, I guess, or yeah. nothing would happen in Lawrence's life without Lucy, but Lucy also kind of needs him to keep him on the straight and narrow. So I guess the answer to your question is, we started building the characters by going, who is Lucy? What is Lucy's world? Mm -hmm. And what could, what could people get out of being next to her? And what would she get by having, like, who are the people that she needs around her? It's a very interesting dynamic when you watch it. And I was going to say Groovy is a really excellent way to put Marcy because there's a, there's an interesting flow to the character that um, is just, is, is just, it's, it's interesting to see that character in that world. But speaking of your own work, it is very large. Uh, thank you for, for setting me up for that transition. I watched your Fool Us piece and it's, if anybody hasn't seen it, it's online. You escape from a barrel full of wine, which is just yeah. how, so how did you get involved in escapes and what kind of wine was in that barrel? <laughs> well, I'll start with the, uh, the, what kind of wine is in that barrel. Um, at this point I can only afford blends when it comes to 60 <laughs> gallons, but if you know anyone that owns a winery, I would really love to do a feature spot at a vineyard in their own vintage. <laughs> it's a, it's a, heart-wrenching escape uh the way you set that up on fool us i don't want to give too much away for people who haven't seen it because it's there is a lot of drama in that escape but i'm i'm also assuming that you are safe during it yeah i would love to talk about safety in this podcast because yeah. that's a whole thing about escape that i have a lot of feelings about Let, so i want to start with so normally I, I don't ask how people got into this but escape is a very specialized area of yeah. the allied arts which is heavily associated with magic how did you get into that because uh, I don't, I don't know any escape artists. You are the first escape artist that I have like had a, a, a more than passing familiarity with. Wow, oh, cool. Um, okay, so I come from a classical theater background. Um, I grew up in a very small town where like the kind of entertainment professions that I was exposed to were really limited. Like I was like fourteen when I realized people on TV that was their actual job. Um, but I got, I was really deeply attracted to classical theater. And I think it's because of the scale of the thing, right? The scale of the, the plot and the characters and the stakes in Shakespeare and Greek tragedies and things like that. Um, and so I went to theater school uh, to train to be a very serious classical theater actor. And when I came out of theater school, the first gig I got was a six month contract with a giant puppetry company, <laughs> which is a different kind of scale, yeah. right? And they taught me to stilt walk. And uh, that was really fun and cool. And I was really interested in the, the size of reactions people have when they see a stilt walker and that sort of big feeling it gives people, which is interesting because if you've worked in circus at all, stilts are sort of looked down upon as like, yeah, and then you put on some stilts and you make some easy money. Um, but yeah. people have this huge reaction to it. Oh, yeah. So there's a, there's a, a circus company here in, in Columbus that I work with called the amazing giants. And they do a lot of like stilt walking and like giant people at events. And I'll be walking around doing close up magic. And the moment they come out on stilts, no one cares about magic anymore. It's just yeah, look at that person up there. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. And so stilt walking kind of became my day job as I was working on getting into the theater industry. 
And uh, then some contracts brought me to um, Edmonton in Canada, where some theater contracts brought me to Edmonton in Canada, where I currently live. And uh, I was still walking at the Edmonton Street Performers Festival, which is a very well-known street performers festival all over the world. And that's when I first started really closely watching circle acts, like street performers that build a big crowd and do a circle show. Yeah, this for, for those of you who are not familiar with it, that this is one of the more common ways of busking and, and actually getting like a giant crowd that you can pass the hat and actually get money from. And it's, and it's a lot of festivals like these are some of the places you can go see the best in the world do it. A good friend of mine, Tony Steinbach, goes up to Edmonton every year to do his circle act. Yeah, he's a good dude. Oh man, Tony's great. I, I haven't had Tony on the show yet. I really should. Uh, but uh, but please, so please continue. So you're watching these circle acts. So I'm watching these circle acts and I'm thinking like these guys, because they're mostly guys, yeah. seem to be able to create theater anywhere. Like now I know that there's sort of some rules to what makes a good pitch, which is the place you street perform. But at the time I was like, this is amazing. These people just create theater for anyone, anywhere. How do I do this? And so uh, I spent a lot of that festival, I'd sit in the green room and then I would like, I'd watch someone's show and then I would sit in the green room and then I'd walk up to them with a beer and go, okay, tell me everything. <laughs> um, and the big feedback that I got was go somewhere where you can do it every day. Um, and it's going to suck for at least the first three years. Yeah. Uh, and then I got offered this acting contract doing King Lear and the Taming of the Shrew in Sydney, Australia in a rep company. So it was really part-time. I had these like huge gaps of time where I wasn't going to be doing anything. Mm. And I kind of hummed and hawed because my acting career was going really well in Canada and I didn't know if it was worth leaving. And then I realized that in Australia, there's a lot of street performing and it's viewed as one of the hardest places to street perform. So if you learn to street perform in Australia, the attitude is kind of, you yeah. can do it anywhere. Yeah. So I packed up my life and I wrote what I thought was a great street show uh in hindsight was way too theatrical for the street <laughs> um i like to say that uh if you're doing like purest like festivals are different because people are there to see you but if you're doing like raw street i like to say it's a little bit like art with a sledgehammer yeah um, you've got to you there's really not have a to... ton of space for nuance unless you're charlie caper but that's obviously you know cultivated over a long time yeah you got to grab them immediately and just like yeah yeah. Because you're fighting um, for their attention against their kids and the seagulls trying to steal their sandwiches, just everything. Yeah. And they're probably late for something and you're asking them to be late or whatever. Um, so I very quickly learned that um, stilts and uh, Shakespeare were not going to hold people on the street. Um, and I, I was also doing some fire poi at that time. Okay. I, that was another skill I had picked up along the way, which is, um, is it, it, really, really feeding into... Marcy's grooviness, I, I see. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, the your question about how did I get into escape is just a Marcy origin story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're so you're doing uh, stilt walking, yeah. fire poi, and Shakespeare recitals. Sounds like a perfect yeah. street show to me. Uh, <laughs> so, so it wasn't really holding people, and so the Shakespeare went away, and the stilts went away, and the fire stayed, and I had like a twenty minute show that was kind of working, but I needed a finale. Mm -hmm. And the, shake, the stage manager for one of the shows I was working on was also a sideshow guy. And he was like, well, I can teach you to escape from a straitjacket. And I thought, ugh, that sounds horrible and dull and done, mm -hmm. but uh, it'll get me started. Um, and he taught me, he taught me to do the straitjacket escape, which uh, I later learned was a straitjacket that was much too small uh, for me. And I still have to do shoulder <laughs> rehab. 
But um, oh, no. uh, I learned my first straitjacket escape. And like I said, I thought it was just going to be something that I was going to do until I could learn to do something better. Mm-hmm. And I started performing it on the street. And once again, the, the size of the reactions that people had to it was incredible. And what I'm about to say is extremely theater geeky. So yeah. brace yourself. But I realized that the structure of escape follows the Aristotelian structure of tragedy. So we need okay, to we yeah, please, please yeah. expand because the the Aristotelian uh, structure of tragedy is not something yeah. that we frequently talk about on this podcast. But I, I'm interested. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so uh, the Aristotelian structure of tragedy, it's it's that little um, thing that would have gotten drawn on the chalkboard in your English class when you were a kid. It's like a straight line and then there's some escalating action and then the line goes up and there's a climax and it comes down. Yes. And that's okay. kind of the simple version. But if you look at, you know, the heaps and heaps of material that Aristotle wrote about tragedy, the idea is that we have a tragic hero. We fall in love with them. Something happens to them to escalate the situation and they find themselves in uh, a situation, usually because of their hubris or arrogance, in which they are trapped. And that builds to the climax. And when they when they get out of whatever situation they're in, it one, it costs them something. But two, the, the audience has come to identify with this character in a way that at the climax of the story, the audience experiences catharsis. So they experience pity and fear for the hero. Okay. And they view their own struggles through that hero and they feel an emotional release that's gonna do it for this week kids thanks so much to miranda for joining me on the show and thanks to you for listening next week miranda and i will conclude our conversation with a deep look at safety and escapes and the process she went through to create her wine barrel escape before i go i just want to remind all of you about the penguin magic awards coming up on january 8th at 7 p.m Voting is live, and you can go to p3magic.com slash 2020 awards to cast your vote. Also, if you can't remember all of the great things that have been nominated, Nick LaCapo and I are going live every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time between now and the award show to recap all of the nominees. As always, it's been a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform that you are arguing about Wonder Woman on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, I want to hear it. You know the rules, and so do I. A full commitment's what I'm thinking of. You wouldn't get this from any other guy. I'm not going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run you around and desert you. But hey, if the ending this dumpster fire of a year on a Rickroll isn't your thing, you can always hit me up on Instagram, at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform. 